This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. The following is a presentation of A's Cast, your free 24-7 nonstop destination for A's baseball. Go to athletics.com slash A's Cast to download the app. Restrictions apply. This is A's Cast Live, your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics. Watch the left field deep. Bam going back. Looking up. He will watch it fly. And 29 other MLB clubs. 2 2 pitch on Trout, and he blasts one. Way back. Gone for Yelich. Cody Bellinger hits one out. Pete Alonso. He's your home run derby champion. Join us as we take you inside the baseball universe. From spin rate to juiced balls to game-changing moments, we have you covered. Spend your afternoon with us next from the town, only on A's Cast Live. A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. It is so great to be back. I cannot tell you. It's going to be a lot of fun talking baseball today. I've missed it. I've missed you, the fans, as we've all been hunkered down. And we're going to be hunkered down for a while. But this is what baseball does for people, and it's done it forever. It gives you a relief from what is going on in your day-to-day life. And we're going to be back Monday, Wednesday, and Friday from 1 to 3 every single day. Or I should say every single week. And we have a lot to get into today as the commander and I have just been researching and doing deep dives on different subjects just to keep our our, 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 our heads on us. And uh, we got a lot of guests. Paul Himikides, Himbo from ESPN, will be here at 1.30. Tuesday, we're going to be replaying one of the great games in A's history, Dallas Braden throwing the perfect game on Mother's Day. That's going to air tomorrow. So Dallas is going to join us. Dallas will join us at 2. That's tomorrow on NBC Sports California. Oh, not on A's cast. Oh, on on TV. All right, so we'll talk to Dallas at 2 o'clock. And then Mike Farron is going to join us. Of course, Mike is host of the Power Alley on Sirius XM MLB channel. But he also works for the Diamondbacks. So what we we want to do every show is we're going to go over our team. We're going to start with divisions, and we're going to do every single team and break down every single team with someone who works for the team. So we're going to start today with the National League West, and we're going to start with the Arizona Diamondbacks. That will be we'll, – we'll preview the D-backs, the Snakes at 2.15, and then Mike Farron, who works for the Diamondbacks, will join us at 2.30. But we are here to help heal. We are here to give you a distraction. Because a lot is going on in our world. A lot of people are scared. A lot of people are frightened. And a lot of people, you're just sitting at home and and waiting for this to end. So we're going to be here for you, A's cast, to get you through this and help you keep sane. And we're going to talk a lot of baseball. And what we've done with this show, we're calling it a not a hot stove anymore. We're calling it a warm stove. 
we're going to keep you up to date on everything going on in baseball and the future of the game. And also, we have so much information that we never use. I mean, we research a lot. It's what we do. It's our li- it's our livelihood. I mean, we love the game. We work inside the game. We're very fortunate. So there's a lot of times we come up with all this information to do in a show, and we don't even get to all of it. So we were thinking, God, we have so much stuff from this offseason to talk about that we'll have plenty of stuff to engage with you, A's fans and Major League Baseball fans. Like, one of the things we're going to get into today is the shift. So a lot of baseball researchers, with a lot of time on their hands, have been putting out some interesting articles this offseason, and some lately, about does the shift really work as, as much as we think it does? Because the shift is being employed more than ever before. 2019 was really the first time we started seeing right-handed batters get the shift. Edwin uh, Edwin Encarnacion was the first right-hander to have the shift employed on him. And then now we're seeing it on a daily basis in the game to where 40% of the balls put in play are against the shift. Is it really working that much? Or are they overthinking it? Now, we can look in, like, the Bill James, what is the official title of his book? The Bill James, what is it, handbook? What is it? As you always do to me, I brought my copy. I have it in my hands. Yes, it's the handbook. The Bill James Handbook 2020 with Christian Yelich on the cover and Matt Chapman on the back. So there's a, a whole part of shifting in the handbook, but it just tells you the information of what happens when a guy hits into the shift. And so the numbers there look great for people who like the shift. But when you do a deeper dive than that, there are ramifications of the shift that it's coming into question. Does it all does the does does the does the bad outweigh the good? We have some infor, we have some information on that. Like I said, we've all had a lot of time. I can only watch Frozen 2. I can only play Monopoly so many times before I, I want to scream. So we've been doing a lot of research on some things. But the number one thing is we are back. And we are here for you. And we're going to have a, a lot of different things coming up here on, on A's Cast. Just not here on A's Cast Live, but A's Cast. As we had the president of the organization on last week. Dave Feldman's going to join us on Friday, our A's historian. And we're going to do another green and gold A's, seg- A's history segment. And so we're going to constantly be updating A's cast. So you got something to listen to and you're going to have a lot of fun with. So the first article that I saw was, you know, I get, I'm get i still the dinosaur that gets all the baseball magazines. So I got... I got Athlon Sports Baseball Preview. I got Lindy's. And what's the other one I got? Streets and Smith. So I got all this information. And so I was in my backyard hanging with the dog, and I started reading this article in Athlon Sports MLB 2020 Preview that I immediately had to start texting Cody because I went, wow, this is really, really good information. 
Uh, one of the funny parts, well, it's not that funny, but, you know, one of the segments is all the new managers that we have. And who's the first one they bring up? Uh, Carlos Beltran. See, when these things get printed, uh, certain things have happened in the game since these magazines were printed. But there's a ton. I mean, there's a ton of great info. But the, the article that I read, it's called The Shift, Defense in the Modern Age. The majors saw a steep increase in the frequency in which teams deploy defensive shifts in 2019. In fact, a league that previously previously shifted 14.4% of plate appearances from 2016 to 2018 suddenly went up to 25.6%. And you see certain players that have struggled with it. And one of the players they bring up is Bryce Harper because Bryce Harper likes to pull the ball. So he's going to see a tremendous amount of shifts. So I'm reading through this article, and I'm like, okay, I know all this, I know all this. And then all of a sudden it gets to the point where it says, is it really helping? Well, we know for a fact that it helps certain, and they do a great job breaking down the Dodgers. As the Dodgers' left side of the infield, Corey Seager at short, Justin Turner at third base, Turner now 34, these guys don't have a lot of range anymore. So the shift can really help teams like this because now you have three defenders on the left side, which is causing Justin Turner and Corey Seager to cover less ground, making them better defenders. It all makes sense. We see it all the time where your best defender – You got Matt Chapman, who plays basically shortstop, and he's so athletic, he can cover so much ground. That's why the shift works for the A's. You take your, you get to say, arguably, your second best defender, even though Matt Olson is one of the best. I'm going to talk about Marcus Simeon. And we see Marcus Simeon basically play short right field. He's like Rover. But why do we see that it may not be working as much as you think. And the article goes on to say, so baseball prospectus, Russell Carlton, who now works for the Mets, he's one of these guys, smart guys, knows analytics, but he put out a piece and he researched and says, on average, pitchers throw fewer strikes when the fielders behind them are aligned in a non-traditional way because not every shift's the same people employ it different ways but pitchers throw fewer strikes and in some cases he found that the net effect of the shift was zeroed out that every hit that the shift took away was canceled out by walks issued because his research showed us that pitchers walk more batters when the shift is on behind them. I had never heard that. I had never heard that. You think, oh, you know, we got a bunch of MIT and Harvard and Stanford and all these really smart guys that know how to crunch numbers and data 
and get that data to managers, and managers take that with their coaches, and they give it to the players. And you just think, well, it's got to be right. These guys are smart. These guys are researching it. These guys are crunching numbers. But it took Russell Carlton, who joined the Mets as, uh, let's see, he joined the Mets as an analyst in 2019. It took him to bring this out. That really has changed my mind on shifting. You know, for the most part, I'm a guy that's all about winning. That's what I care about. I, I care about winning, getting to the playoffs, having a chance to win it all. That's what I care about. And if shifting helps that, then I'm all in. I'm all in on winning because there's only two things you do in this business. You win or you lose. And that's how you're judged. Coming up next, I think I've changed, and I wonder if I can change you. Welcome back, A's fans. Welcome back, baseball fans. You're listening to A's Cast Live. Streaming from the town, A's Cast Live continues with Chris Townsend. Welcome back, everybody, to A's Cast Live, warm stove edition. We appreciate you listening. We are thrilled to be back. I, 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 I'm I even excited to even see Cody, and that's saying a lot. I will say I'm a little disappointed you shaved the beard off. Everyone on Twitter wanted you to grow the beard. Uh, it was awful. What? No, no one can see you besides me. It was me. awful. It was it – was, I, I, I feel less of a man when I try and grow facial hair. Yeah, but again, no one can see you besides me and your your loving family. So, I mean, I guess if yeah, but wife... I have to look at myself in the mirror, and the fact that it's so patchy and so awful looking that I I I I I, I don't feel like a a man, a real man. During this time of uh, not seeing anyone besides you and and Dina, my fiance, and your family, I decided to let the uh, the neck beard grow in as well. Oh God, I'm, oh. Going, I'm going full Andrew Luck here. Well, I'll tell you this. The longer this lockdown goes, we're now going to see what women's uh, real hair color is as salons are not essential businesses and people who color their hair, you're going to start seeing who, uh, what the, what these ladies, oh, you're blonde. Well, there's now some gray in there, huh? I can't wait to, I won't get to see it unless I get a picture, but I can't wait to see what my dad's hair looks like. 59 years old, he still dyes it. Can't wait to see how gray it gets in this uh, this time. Paul Himbakides from ESPN. God, he just they just did a really big article on him, the big lead. And uh, he's a top researcher and producer for ESPN on the show Get Up. And you can hear him on Buster Olney's podcast. Well, he now joins us every single week. It's really, really cool. He'll be here at 1.30. So at the end of this article that I'm talking about, it has this one line that really swayed me the style of play by various factors shaping the modern game can be ugly and stagnant i read that i i got the highlighter out i highlighted it ugly and stagnant i am all about new stuff i'm not afraid of an electric strike zone i'm not afraid of the three batter men i'm not afraid of change Change is good. I might be with the commissioner now on banning the shift. Because what the shift has created is the three true outcomes. Home run, strikeout, and walk. 
And watching all of these old-time games, which has just been awesome, whether you're watching the Bucky Dent game, uh, what else was I watching? I watched a Royals-Yankees game, my guy George Brett hammering the Yankees. Mariners-Yankees game five. The Pintar game, uh, game five from 95. What's on today? I haven't looked. I haven't looked at what they're showing on the network. Watching old, so watching the Bucky Dent game, you got Hall of Famers in this game. Okay, you've got stars, you've got Yaz, you've got Reggie Jackson, you got Jim Rice. I mean, you got Hall of Famers in this game. It's a famous game, obviously. Bucky Dent, who only had four home runs on the year, hits the big home run. Ron Guidry, you forget how nasty that guy was. He got the win in the Bucky Dent game. That was number 25 on the year. Louisiana Lightning, or better known as Gator. If you watch that game, what did you see? You see the ball put in play. I mean, more than half the guys are choking up. They're making contact. Ball's flying all around the ballpark. Yaz hit a home run. Bucky Dent hit the home run. What people don't realize, and I forgot, that actually the game-winning run was actually hit by Reggie Jackson. Because Reggie Jackson made it, got, got them to the five runs, and they ended up winning 5-4. But shifting has really turned this game into strikeout or pop-ups. And there's not a whole lot of balls being actually hit on the ground as much as it used to be. So there's not, much, there's not as much action. Now, I know, Cody, you like shifts. But for me, for the for what's better for the game, well, first of all, this article kind of proves that it kind of all washes out. Like, you steal some hits, but then pitchers don't like pitching behind it because everybody's on one side of the field, essentially. And when you walk people, when you throw less strikes and you walk people, walks lead to runs. That's, that's happened throughout time. So it also kind of depends. See, that's one thing about, like, what the shifting information doesn't give you. They give you all the positive signs of shifting. They don't give you the negatives. And if you're walking more people, that's bad news. So you may take that hit away, but you may be giving it right back by the pitcher going out and walking people. And I'm I'm, I'm certain, you know, some pitchers, the numbers will be different for everybody. What, what do you got from Bill James? This, Bill James does a good job telling you why it works. He doesn't do a good job of telling you why it doesn't. So there were 46,758 shifts in 2019. In 2018, there was 34,699 shifts. That's a 35% increase from 2018 to 2019. There's no question they're overshifting. Now, in 2019, 622 runs were saved per, uh, I believe it's per 100, per 100 shifts. So six runs every 100 shifts. I mean, it's not bad. That's like one per every 100, 1.33 or something like that. I am a fan of the shift, but there's a reason why, because I watch teams that championed it be good. The Brewers did it, the Rays, the Pirates. Those are three teams that used it. The, the Brewers won from being a laughing stock in 2010. Then Ron Renneke took over in, in 2011. They won 96 games and were the best team in the NL. But here's the problem. It makes the game boring. True. And but you got to learn how to beat the shift, too. Matt Olson does a great job beating the shift. 
he he laid down a couple bunts. I mean, it, it it's it, it's well. Last year he lost twenty seven hits to the defensive shift, but he also gained eleven. So the net is sixteen. So he essentially lost sixteen. See, that's hits. the thing. They say the net, but 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 think about this: how many times was Matt Olson walked when the shift was on, and then how many times did he score? That well, would he actually, cha- that, that would change the net. He actually hit two sixty two with the shift on. I looked. He was like one oh six of like four sixteen or four oh nine or something like that. So it was like two two sixty two was his average with the shift applied. So. A point for somebody would be, for, first of all, I want more excitement in the game, right? I want, I want more balls put into play. I want less. I want less. Let's just all try and hit home runs, and that's all we do. And I think about defense, because I remember when I was texting with Cody after reading this article, he's like, oh, you're going to take the three-pointer away, or you're going to tell football teams they can't blitz. I don't think that's apples to apples. Because three-pointers are exciting. Blitzing and getting to the quarterback is exciting. Shifts is not making the game more exciting. Shifts is making the game more boring. And what I would equate, I think, is apples to apples would be basketball. Like, nothing is more boring than watching Jim Beheim and the Syracuse. I'm sorry, Professor Matt Pearl, but watching the the Orangemen run the, the old the the old uh, zone defense it makes for boring basketball basketball used to you weren't allowed to you weren't allowed to play zone defense in the NBA why because it made the game boring the uh, the Virginia Cavaliers are the are the team now in basketball college basketball that slow the game down they held their opponents like forty five points a game I know exactly what you mean I know I just I'm a fan of the of, I just think the shift is something that has been around forever in baseball it's been going on forever but the last 10 year 10 plus years it's been overutilized i think no i am saying that 46,700 whatever the number was i gave out is a lot that's a lot of shifting i mean you're shifting you're just shifting to shift now i mean it would be one thing if you have a dead pull left-handed hitter but now you're just shifting to shift like i looked i went back and looked we talked about this before there was the four man outfield where they have the four guys in the yeah, outfield yes. there was it was used 101 times last year in baseball most by the Tampa Bay Rays i think they used it 38 times i i'm now in favor of saying you got to have two guys on the left got to have two guys on the right i mean you can you can shade your shortstop up the middle you can shade your second baseman up the middle but then all of a sudden you'd be leaving you know the old tony Gwynn 5.5 hole you know the the area between the third baseman and the shortstop would be greater. I mean, you can move your third baseman over, but now down the line, as everybody's just trying to pull the ball, now you know down the line. You, so I think I would be up for that. And I think it would cause more guys to put the ball in play, and you'd see more action in the game than everybody just trying to hit fly balls. But that's what you, – you, you want the ball in the air because of the shift. Now, that, I'm glad you brought that up because uh, our good friend Sarah Langs and I went back and looked this up on Baseball Savant. 31.2% of home runs in 2019 when a sh- shift was applied. That's how many times a home run was hit. 31.2% of tracked home runs in 2019 came in a plate appearance where the shift was on. Now, that's more than 2,000 home runs in 2019 where in plate appearance where a shift happened. That's 10,000 strikeouts, 4,000 walks. Jake Arrieta had the highest batting average allowed when the shift was applied at 411. You want to know what the the A's leader was? Mike Fires and Chris Bassett each had 217 batting averages allowed with the shift on, so the shift actually helped Fires and Bassett. Yeah, I want to get rid of it. I want to get rid of it. 
for the sake of the game. Not, not, I'm not, I mean, you can debate. I'm sure everybody has different, I mean, I have this article that says it all comes out in the wash anyway. I'm sure certain teams would say that's, that's, that's not right. Our, our information says different. I'm just, I, I, I want to get more balls in play. I want less strikeouts, less fly balls. We need that. As you said, I mean, look how many strikeouts and walks, balls not being put in play. I mean, there are times where you go, how many minutes in a game and no ball is put in play? That's a good, it's a good amount of time. And I'm going to give you this. Do you know what team led, or led Major League Baseball, the least amount of shifts he used? Uh, I think that would uh, the Chicago Cubs. That would be the Oakland Athletics. The we- A's in 2019 only applied 804 shifts. Uh, the next one closest was the Cubs at 834. Now the Orioles uh, applied 2,515 13 shifts. That's 13, thir- uh, 1,300 more than they did the year before, and they still lost how many games last year? Think about think about this. In football, offensively, they tell you where you can line up and where you can't. You just can't line up in any formation. You got to have X amount of guys on the line, a scrimmage. Yeah, how many times do we see illegal formation? And it, it happens a quite quite. A, it happens a lot anymore. Right, football tells you okay, and then by your number, you know you got guys that come in and offensive linemen. I've got a you know lineman. If they're they're you're gonna have an extra lineman, he's gonna come in. He has to report to the ref. There's just uh, looking looking at that leaderboard for AL and NL teams. It's crazy that the A's they won 97 games last year. They only they were last in baseball shifts, and then the Cubs who won what eighty well they won eighty four eighty five games last year. They didn't make the playoffs. They still won eighty plus games. Two teams that won over eighty games, you know, have a winning record. Don't use a shift. The team that led all of baseball, uh, the Orioles, they lost over hundred games last year. Hockey tells you, I mean, you got the blue line. I mean, there's certain all these sports have rules to them, right? That there's certain things you can't do. So that's why I I could see that rule, and I know Manfred's in favor of it. Banning the shift, going back to a traditional defense. Like I said, you want to play guys up the middle, you can do that. But you can only have two guys on one side, two guys on the other side. I I, I, I still cannot get over when Marcus Simeon fields a ball in short right field and throws to first base, we score at 6-3. He's not playing shortstop. The minute Marcus goes over to second base and goes into the outfield, he's playing right field. Right? Yeah. It's it should be what would that be a nine? Nine three. Yeah. He's not playing shortstop anymore. I still love that because I, I remember when you first mentioned that. Like, I I mean I've always noticed it from watching games and seeing it. But when you brought it up saying how it should be a nine three put out, I always laugh because I'm like I always live for those moments where the right fielder throws out the guy at first base, which very, very, very rarely happens, but it's it's happened. I just love seeing it. It's like, oh, nine three. You're telling me that uh, Stephen Piscotty threw at a guy at first base? No, no, no. That was Marcus Simeon playing Marcus right Simeon. field. How about how about how about uh, what was the first time we saw it last year? Was it the Rangers when they put four guys in the outfield? Uh, either the Rangers or the Rays applied it with like Joey Gallo at the at bat for the Rangers. But no, I'm I, saying against the A's. Oh yeah, yeah, it was definitely the Rangers then because Chris Woodward's a big fan of it. I I can tell you the number of times they used it. And I remember watching it, and I remember going, "Where's all? The, where's the other? Where's the other infielder?" I think it was in Oakland, wasn't it? Or was it in Texas? I don't remember. But I just remember looking out and going, wait a minute, there's only three infielders. Uh, actually, the Rangers, it doesn't even have the Rangers listed on here, which is interesting. The The leaderboard in um, 
four-man outfields. The Rays use it 48 times. The Reds, 35. Uh, the A's, zero, but they used it once in 2018. It doesn't have the Rangers listed in here, but I do remember seeing that happen. It doesn't have so, all the teams, but it just says it just shows 101 right, times Whoever it, it was, I mean, so you take an infielder and you put him out in left center, and he catches a fly ball, you're going to score that, what, five? That he caught a fly ball at third base? But no, he's in left center. Or whoever you put out there. Here's the hitters with the most times they've had the four-man outfield. Justin Smoke, lefty. Joey Gallo, lefty. Brandon Belt, lefty. Lucas Duda, lefty. Matt Olson, lefty. So always against lefties. It seems, and the same thing with the shift. The shift is always lefty. Is pretty much lefties. Like, well, now it's right. Now it's right-handers. Well, yeah, That's the problem. Now there's like I looked it up on Baseball Savant. The highest batting average with the shift applied was Nolan Arenado, uh, Nolan Arenado at 420. Let me ask you a question before we get to Himbo. Do you want to pay the prices? See, we get to, we go to games for free. We get paid to go to the game. So our 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 opinions when it really comes to because fans don't like it. And the fans, that's the customer. Cut, you know, being in the restaurant business, the customer's always right, let me tell you. The customer doesn't like it. They're the ones who, their opinion matters. Our opinion matters, but they're, pay, they're the ones paying the freight. Do I want to spend X amount of dollars? I want you to think about this. What it costs to park, what it costs for tickets, what it costs for food, what it costs for beverages, all that money that I spent because I want to go see a baseball game. I want to see the best players. Do I want to see Matt Olson and Matt Chapman bunting? Uh, no. I, I, Me, no. Okay. Well. Fans, I don't know, some fans might like watching the bunt. I want to see Matt Olson grip it and rip it. I want to see Matt Chapman. I want to see – I don't – to beat the shift on a consistent basis and, it, and, and and what you said, hey, beat it, you're going to have to bunt. You just lay down a couple bunts. But I'm not paying to watch Matt Olson bunt. I, 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 I want to watch Matt Chapman and Matt Olson do damage at the plate if I'm a paying customer. That's why I would get rid of the shift. Well, if people want to vote on this, I put the poll up on the Athletics Cast 24 Twitter account. Are you a fan of the shift? Very simple, yes or no. I didn't really put your side or my side on it. I just asked people saying that you wanted to know, are they fans of the shift? Yes or no? Because I need to go vote. Because there's a lot of people, like I think people that are diehard numbers nerds like me will be like, yeah, I love the shift because it helps your team win. And there's going to be casual fans that don't really, you know, they're just like, no, I want to see home runs. I want to see runs. I want to see the ball put in play like we did in the early 90s and the, the early the early aughts when the ball was actually put in play, where now it's just more three true outcomes, home run, strikeout, or walk. So we are really, really lucky that we've established in a very short time some great relationships in the game of baseball. And we're lucky that a lot of people are following A's Cast and A's Cast Live. And I know I say it all the time. If you've heard this, I apologize. But this is the future. This is the future of baseball. Everybody's going to be doing it. And so because of that, we're able to get some big names to come on routinely without having to pay them. And one of those is Paul Himbikides. He's the top researcher and producer for Get Up on ESPN. You also hear him on Buster Olney's podcast, which is the number one podcast in baseball. And Himbo gets stuck with ESPN that you're either talking LeBron James or NFL. 
but he loves baseball more than anything else. This is a place where he can come and talk baseball. That's his love. Because ESPN, it's going to be, it's 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 true. It's LeBron James or the NFL. And I think they're all. By the way, I I think all the all the networks are doing a terrific job. When I'm talking about MLB Network, NFL Network, you know, I love the football lives. Those are great on the NFL Network. Playing classic games. Um, it was so cool. The other day, when you've got Bucky Dent and Lou Pinella, you forget Lou Pinella was a pretty good player. In studio there in Secaucus, New Jersey, with Bob Costas and Tom Verducci, friend of the program. And they're breaking down the Bucky Dent game. You know, we're, we're able to see a lot of history and a lot of games. I mean, it was so cool watching, you know, they do the year in review. They were doing, I want to say it was 1980, and at the All-Star Game, it's George Brett and Mike Schmidt and Ozzie Smith and Dave Parker, and I mean, these just the legends of the game, Dave Winfield, Don Mattingly. No, I mean, Mattingly probably wasn't even up by then. Mattingly came in when? Probably like 83, 82, but you know what I'm talking about. The roster of the 80 All-Star Game was just awesome. And then watching, then they're, you know, they're following the Phillies. Phillies won in 80, right? Pete Rose at first base at like 38 years old. <laughs> Larry Boa at shortstop. It was awesome. Uh, the Bull, Greg Lazinski. I've, I've really enjoyed watching all this classic stuff. It has been a lot of fun. Uh, so Himbo has been hunkered down. He's out in New York. He's hunkering down at the in-laws in New Jersey because obviously the outbreaks in New York – Everybody's scared to death. So he's been doing all of his work from New Jersey. Here is my conversation earlier with Paul Himbakides, better known on ESPN as Himbo. Himbo, it's great to have you back on the program. We've missed you. Uh, I miss you guys, too. These are, um, these are obviously extraordinary times, but in a, t- in a time like this, if, if we have the ability to, to, to you know, talk about baseball for a few minutes, I think it's, gonna, you know, I think it's therapeutic for the two of us, and it's you know, probably therapeutic for – just about everyone listening in, too. So it's, uh, it's good to be here. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, uh, we're here now to help people get through this. That, that That's why we're going to talk a lot of baseball. But when you think about your show on ESPN or what we're doing with A's Cast or A's Cast Live, this is a time where people want a diversion to get away from everything and get back to what they love. And one of those things is baseball. Well, and there's, and there's a reason why Major League Baseball persisted through – both world wars and that's because uh the president at the time and the commissioners felt like baseball was going to provide people um a distraction for lack of a better term and obviously this is not that in terms of the magnitude and in terms of the impact but i think the principle remains the same baseball is going to have however long the season will be baseball is going to have an extraordinary an extraordinary opportunity to, to roar, roar back this summer and captivate people in, in a way that it has not in, in a long, in a long, long time. I remember when, you know, Mike Piazza hit that famous home run a week or so after 9-11, and it was this kind of thing that, like, we'll, we'll never forget. If you watch it live, you'll never forget where you were, and there's just no way to overstate the impact that that had on where our nation was at the time. And I'll tell you, like, I, I, I can't wait to sit in, in the stands as a fan with a $14 beer and a $6 hot dog that's not that, you know, tasty and not even that warm, 
and I won't care. I won't care that I lost those $20. I just want to hear the crack of the bat. I want to smell the cracker jacks. I want to have those senses heightened because right now there's nothing I want more than that. That I think is the, is the experience that fans are going to want. My hope, my hope is that uh, in-stadium attendance will return soon after baseball does, but I think there is a reasonable chance. There's a reasonable chance that we'll be playing baseball in baseball in empty stadium for a decent amount of the season. Yeah, I mean, we just want to get this thing going, and if that's the case, then and people can still be watching games on television. They can, you know, listen to A's cast. So that will be something very special. Also, something very special. When is your book coming out? <laughs> um, funny you should ask. So about, uh, I would say it was last summer. It was really the time that um, I decided to do this. So um, every year I go on a, a baseball road trip with a few buddies. And one year we decided to, to do the exercise of ranking the 25 greatest baseball players of all time and, and defend it, to defend our list. And we enjoyed the exercise so much that we decided, well, if we ever have a chance or the motivation to do a top 100, and put it on paper, we're going to do it. So uh, over the course of the last year or so, I've sort of been crafting exactly how we want to do it in terms of you know, the ranking the players, in terms of the selection process, in terms of the research and all the rest of it. So I would definitely say we're uh, still very much in the early stages of it. My goal is to have this be sort of a year, year and a half long project. But like the, the way I would best describe this is like I'm very much writing this uh, for me. Like the people that I've talked to, and I've talked to a bunch of people who have done books like these, they say, write it for you. And if you do so, you'll be satisfied with the outcome, regardless of how many books you sell. Like, I'm not an author. I'm a TV producer. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a researcher. But I have so much you know, information at my fingertips that I feel like it would almost be a waste if I didn't do this. So I'm learning so much as we go. My hope is that sometime next year we can unveil this thing. And my hope is that you know, over the next year, year and a half, I can share some of the tidbits along the way that I learned that I'm sure you guys will uh, find just as interesting as I do. Yeah, when you start breaking down the top 100, I mean, how? I mean, just think about how tough it is if you said, all right, give me the top 10 baseball players all time. They've been playing this game for over 150 years. It's like, I, I don't know how you do that. that. I mean, there's been so many great players. I, how, how are you going to judge the players by era? So what we have done is we, we, have, we have developed a system in which we are not ranking players 1 through 100, rather bucketing players based on a theme of their career and the reason we've done so is because i like you have seen all these lists and it's very difficult to reconcile the rankings on just about any one of them and what i want to avoid is a situation in which someone is saying why in the world is josh gibson ranked higher than lefty grove which is frankly just impossible to defend like it's silly like joe posnanski is doing his top 100 on the athletic right now some outstanding and interesting and, uh, you know, historical type anecdotes that I'm, you know, I'm sure going to, you know, wade through myself as I, as I do my own list. But what gets in the way is the individual ranking of the player. So in order to, to whittle our number down to 100, right now we're about 110, we start just with the baseball reference war leaderboards and we dive into the context. There's really no objective way to do this. That's what I've learned. I've learned that it's almost impossible to do this objectively because there are so many variables. There's baseball in wartime. People lost seasons to war. People lost seasons to injury. People never even had the opportunity to play in Major League Baseball to do, due to discrimination. Also, when, when, like I often argue that war, wins above replacement, is a really valuable stat, especially in, in, in um, evaluating modern-day players. But 
a hundred years ago, players were judged, at least position players in large part, based on their batting average and pitchers based on their win total. Am I to, am I to penalize those players because they were achieving something that at the time was thought to be valuable? The answer has to be no. So context neutralizing things is the most difficult thing. You hit the nail right on the head. But I will say that I'm fairly comfortable with our uh, ranking system because it is truly objective. And then we're going to choose to sort of bucket these players as we go based on a theme in their career, which will eliminate the notion of why is X player better than Y player, which is what I think we want to avoid. I know this is this is this is going to be a tough one, but I got to ask it. How are you going to view the guys from the steroid era? The steroid era, see, we have, a, we have an answer for that better than the Hall of Fame does. The Hall of Fame has a bad answer for that because you're just, you're just putting people, you're putting voters, you're leaving them to their own devices, and there are obviously politicking that goes on there that I'm uncomfortable with, and most baseball fans are uncomfortable with it. If I had a Hall of Fame vote now, which I do not, I'd love to have one someday, I don't have one now. If I had a Hall of Fame vote, I would vote for the quote-unquote steroid guys. For, our, for the sake of our book, however, we have a chapter which we have entitled the pariahs. The pariahs are going to be a group of people who are inarguably top 100 players who inarguably their stories uh, are, are an essential part of baseball. So the, the way that I have been, you know, so to, to, to sort of um, boil it down as simply as I can for every one of these players, we have to ask ourselves, can the story of baseball be told without them? If the answer is no, they have to be in the book. And for a handful of those players, the obvious ones, they're going to be in our pariah chapter, so we can do the context in a way that the Hall of Fame cannot. You know, one thing uh, since we've had this layoff that I've, I've really enjoyed, MLB Network playing classic games, whether it's the 95 game, uh, the Yankees up against the Mariners, the famous Edgar Martinez double. I was watching the Bucky Dent game from 1978. <laughs> I mean, it's been so fun watching classic baseball, and you just notice – Players choke up. Everybody makes contact. Even Reggie Jackson. Reggie Jackson, who struck out more than any human being uh, in, in that year in 1978, he still was hitting like 279. He struck out a lot, but he also made a lot of contact. To watching yesteryear baseball to, to what we see today, it, it's been a lot of fun to watch old school. I mean, Reggie Jackson would be winning batting titles if he was playing today, let's be honest. I mean, I, look, I, I'm not an old fart. I turned 30 years old in May. So, like, I, I can't act as if I'm, you know, Bob Ryan or, you know, or, or Vince Scully or someone who's been watching baseball, you know, since, you know, since, um, you know, since forever. Like, but I will say that I think, I think, and it's probably hard to prove this, that the, the deterioration of the popularity of baseball with young people could be in, in just as large part due to the deterioration of the game, the batted ball, as anything else. Now, some people argue that there's just too much flooding the market, that football and basketball are just too fast and that baseball can't keep up. But that's not the baseball that I remember. I was once a young person just like you, and baseball was way better than basketball then and way better than football then, and that's because the ball was in play. The batted ball is the foundation of baseball. Now, pitching is so good now. And that's truly the biggest reason why strikeouts are so up. And that's one of the big reasons why my walks are so up too, because um, that's being incentivized as a big part of the game too. But because that dynamic is in play now, there's just a lot less stuff happens. A lot less stuff happens. And baseball now can be uh, consumed in highlights and in bits and on, on Twitter and on other social media platforms in a way that you can see, you know, those individual plays or those strikeouts or those homers and not miss that much, which I think is sad because I think sometimes – but the context of the game, the beauty of the game is, is now easily lost because everything is so extreme. Now, this is not me saying that 
I think baseball thinks now because they don't. I think one of the biggest problems we have is that our national broadcasters say these things out loud. Our national broadcasters should be lauding the game of baseball because it is still by far the best game. But you ask my personal opinion, and that's that baseball was much better when I grew up loving it. And that was 20, 25 years ago. We're not talking about the, you know, the 50s here. Yeah, I hear you. I mean, I was watching, uh, it was the 1980 season. So they go from start to finish uh, and watching the All-Star game. They're showing highlights. It's George Brett, Mike Schmidt. And you're like, ah, the good old days of ba- Dave Parker. I mean, it was like the good old days of baseball. All right, we, we've been doing a lot of, we, we've been doing a lot of deep dives. And one of the things that I've noticed lately, a lot of deep dives on shifting, because we have just said, listen, there's a lot of smart people in baseball. They're all shifting now, so it, it must be working. But but now I've been reading these articles about how shifting may not be as successful as we think because a lot of pitchers don't like pitching when the shift is on. They don't like the game plan. They walk more batters when the shift is on. If you walk more batters, that leads to more runs. So, yes, you may be stealing hits with the shift, but you may be giving it back because of the walks and the runs being scored. What has your research shown you about shifting? Is it really that successful? Uh, it's, it's successful only when the, when the pitching staff marries to the fielding. It's, it's, it's exactly what you said. There, there is really very little evidence that, that there's, a, uh, there's a large batting average on balls and play difference against the shift versus against not the shift. Now, in my opinion, put, you know, tossing a second baseman in, in short – short right field and moving the shortstop over makes a ton of sense for these, you know, sluggers who pull everything. And I think that's really where this probably should have settled, but there isn't that much evidence that this works to, to a large scale extent, the way that it's being used now. I mean, I, I reached out to my buddy, Mark Simon. I know a friend of the program who told me that we almost had 50,000 shifts in, on balls in play last year. That's 40% of balls in play are, 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 are being shifted, which is just a preposterous figure because, it's, it's impossible to impl- implement that with your pitching staff. If you have a pitching staff that, that buys into the philosophy of shifting and pitches to the location of, of, the, of the fielders, and at, at least in some sense with their sequencing. Now, obviously, everyone's trying to strike everyone out now. But if you, if you want to, uh, let's, let's, let's say, throw a change up down and away, but you don't have anyone on the left side of the infield to field a ground ball to the shortstop, which is the most obvious thing to happen in that circumstance as, as just an example, then it doesn't work at all. It's almost as if, like, like, for example, I'm a big Eagles fan. When Chip Kelly came to the Eagles, and Chip Kelly had the offense playing a million miles a second and didn't have any depth on the defense, well, they just blew every fourth quarter because they didn't have anything left. It's the same thing that goes here. Like, you have, everyone's got to be in the meeting room together, and everyone needs to buy into it. I don't really care, to be candid, if pitchers like it or not, if you've determined as a staff that it works. However, if you look at some of the, some of the extremes last year in terms of successful shifting and unsuccessful shifting, there are really good teams from the very top of that leaderboard and some really bad teams on the bottom and, and vice versa. So I think, I think you probably hit the nail on the head in saying that it's more anecdotal than anything else. Like anything, it, it's, it's a determination that you have to make in the front office and an implementation that has to occur throughout the entire, the entire team. It's not just a fielding thing. It's not just a pitching thing. It has to work together. My personal opinion is that I would shift somewhat sparingly. Now, I do have a sort of a, a strong opinion on whether or not shifts should be, not banned, but at least limited. But in terms of like, the way that it is right now and the, the fact that it's sort of the wild, wild west, I think the majority of teams are overusing this and using the data without the context. Let's end on this. Normally when you have a shortened season – 
people want to put like an asterisk on it because it's usually coming off labor strife, right? There's been a, a fight between yeah. the players and the owners, whether it's football, basketball, hockey. Everybody has had labor strife. Everybody has had shortened seasons. But I have a feeling this shortened season is not going to have an asterisk, and I think we're really going to uh, fall in love with the teams that make the playoffs and, of course, the team that wins the World Series. Uh, I do, too. I think well, the, the winner of the World Series this year is, 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 will likely be viewed as uh, heroic because of all the circumstances surrounding baseball and sports in general right now, and that's probably how they should be viewed. Or at the very least, like this season will, will be remembered so much. Um, you know, remember in 2001, after 9-11, the Yankees, it seemed like everyone was rooting for the Yankees in that World Series against the Diamondbacks. Now, I don't think there's going to be a certain team necessarily, but we don't know exactly what the context will be in a few months. But I don't know that there will be that team. But I don't think there's any reason for an asterisk because it's not like a certain team had an advantage over any other team. You know, there's, I mean, I suppose there could be some scheduling quirks that, that feed into that, but certainly nothing substantial. What I noticed in my research is that in 1981 and in 1995, those are the two in the most recent years that were shortened due to strikes. In 95, they played 144 games in 158 days. In 81, they obviously played early, took a big break you know, with the strike, and, and, and then played a, a, you know, the remainder of their schedule. And in both of those seasons, the best pitching team in their league won. In 81, it was the Dodgers. In 95, it was the Braves. And neither of those teams really hit all that exceptionally, which was curious to me. I think the teams with the deepest pitching staffs that they can sustain this, this sort of rigor here are going to be the teams that succeed. We've seen uh, these offensive juggernauts take off during the regular season in recent years because you just can't stop the home run ball. Like a team like the Twins, for example, last year. I don't think I don't think a team like the Twins is necessarily going to be a favorite this year because of the, the stacked schedule. I think the teams that are going to have the most success, especially in the playoffs, are going to be teams with deep pitching rotations because injuries are probably going to be more prevalent in a compressed period of time. And that's why I probably favor teams like the Rays and the Dodgers if I'm sort of prognosticating, just based on the limited sample size that we have. Well, I got to tell you, I'm on the website, The Big Lead, and uh, Ask Himbo, getting up with ESPN's Paul Hembikides. Look at you going big time. They're writing articles about you. Look, <laughs> look uh, you know it is a dead time in sports when the, when the Big Lead is choosing to write puff pieces on segment producers at ESPN in their free time. But that, that's where we are now. Um, that's where we are. But in, in, in all honesty, I do appreciate you saying so. It was, it was sort of fun. You know, this, you know, you know dude from the, from the website came and shadowed me for a couple hours and, you know, chatted with a bunch of my colleagues, and they all said some flattering things about me that were, you know, only, only half true. But I have to say, um, I, now that I have this job, like, I always expected people to ask me, like, questions based on my expertise because I have access to so much information, like predictions on who's going to win the Super Bowl or who's your sleeper Cy Young Award winner or, you know, whatever the case may be. I'm much more, much more often I am asked about who I work with and like what the job is like, which always surprises me. Like I, um, I always thought I'd be answering like sports questions. As it turns out, it seems like the job that I have, like the specific work that I do actually fascinates people a lot more than the answers that I come up with. But you know, who knows why? Well, the article is very flattering and you deserve it. But more importantly, be safe, my friend. Hunker down, and uh, we'll, we'll, we'll contact you next week because we, we know this is a, this is your little fun segment of the week where you get to actually do what you want to do. <laughs> uh, I, I definitely do, and now that I, I have nothing but time. I am dying for stuff to do, so put me to work next week. We'll do a fun research project or two, 
and uh, we'll uh, we'll get together again. And, and like like you said, stay safe because we obviously know we have bigger fish to fry right now. But uh, doing this for you know 10, 15 minutes at a time is something that provides me uh, uh, some therapy. I'm sure you guys feel the same way. So it's a pleasure to be with you. The great Paul Hembakides, Hembo. We're going to have him every single week. And what's really cool is that he does all this research, and then he sends Cody, hey, this is what I've been doing a deep dive on, and we just we go with it. We have a poll out right now. Did I retweet it yet? Yes. So we have a poll out right now about shifts. And it's running dead even with 62 votes. So we've asked the question, the defensive shift is a big topic on A's Cast Live today. At Townsend Radio wants to know, are you a fan of the shift? Yes or no? It's that simple. We've got 62 votes in. It's at a dead heat, 50-50. I'm surprised by that. I'm surprised so many people actually like the shift. I think that would be my... Most fans, I would think your more your regular fans would be like, "Yeah, I'm I'm tired of this," but it's running at a dead heat. People agree with me. The masses agree with me that the shift is is an, is a good thing. Sixty two, huh? So thirty one people agree with you. Thirty one people disagree. So I, I think I set the the time on the poll for four hours. So it'll end around five. Five-ish. Oh, you can set a, t- a, yeah, set a timer on I your polls? I didn't run it for 24 hours. I Let's just give it a four-hour, see how many votes I've we can I've never put a poll out before. Really? Well, with the, the other the poll we ran last week, uh, I did it for my own account, but it was the one about you growing a beard, and it was overwhelming, like 90% people wanted you to grow the beard. I, I just couldn't stand looking at myself in the mirror anymore. It's so bad. I mean, it's like the point of where my mustache, you know the hair that goes from, you know, your lip, down to your your chin, it doesn't grow. I have no hair there. That's a like a bald patch kind of thing. Like yes, yeah, so, so, so like it doesn't grow under here. I, I couldn't do. I can't do a goatee because the sides don't grow in. It's okay. Some guys can't do that, but it, it's it's what makes it funny. No one can see it but us. And, yeah, but and, I still have to go out in public. Are you though? We're not really supposed to go out anywhere. Well, for essentials, I mean, I've been to the grocery store. I've been to the old liquor store. I went to Ace Hardware yesterday. Do we have liquor stores around here? Like, oh, I'm yeah. thinking of state stores because growing up in Pennsylvania, they only have no, state stores. We have stores. liquor stores. That's true. They have like the, there's and one. They of are essential. It's essential that we keep these packed too. Yeah, it's true. I I stocked up on White Claw and beer. Yeah, because you yeah yeah. If I'm have to watch Frozen two, Daddy needs a cocktail. I I saw Disney release that early so people could watch it, stream it early. Uh, it was they, actually pretty good. They should. I haven't watched it yet. They should, should release the new Star Wars uh, early as well. I have seen every single Disney princess movie. Uh, I've only ever seen Frozen, and I own like three fourths of them. We we had this conversation before. I I don't think I've seen mo- majority of the movies that came out when I was a kid. Those Disney movies. I don't think I think The Lion King, and Toy Story's Pixar. So I, that doesn't even really count. I. Once took a Disney princess quiz. How'd you do? I was like 18 for 20. It's pretty good numbers. Do you know which the first one was? Um, no, because I can't really tell you who the princesses are. Snow White was the very first put out by Walt Disney. So you got Snow White, Cinderella. Um, Sleeping Beauty. So yeah, I told you I don't know it. I know Elsa. 
That's really about it. Let it go, bro. Let it go. It's uh, it's just I can't. I just never got into my like. Was growing up as a kid, my parents, you know, they let us. You know that we watched. So I watched Star Wars and Back to the Future. Well, when I was a kid, and you went to Disneyland, the princesses would show up, but it wasn't that. You know, they were a big deal. But then Disney finally realized, huh? There's more little girls than there's little boys, and all these little girls love Disney princesses. So why don't we beef it up and start selling? Because back in the day, Mickey was the star. I mean, everything was Mickey. There was a little bit of Minnie, but everything was Mickey when you went when you went into those shops. But now they figured it out that all these little girls want to be wearing Cinderella's dress or Aurora's dress or Tiana, Princess and the Frog. Oh, so I don't know who any of these people are. So they sell all those dresses. They have areas in Disneyland now where you take your daughter – and they'll do their hair and makeup and make them look like a Disney princess. They figured out there's a lot of money to be made on little girls and parents who can't say no, and I was one of them. We did that. We did the – so over in California – this may be way too much Disney princess knowledge for you, um, but I don't know if they still have it. They used to have the, the, the Disney princess dinner. Good question. I, I wouldn't know. So maybe maybe it's easily. This was a long time ago, but we dressed our our kids got dressed up in their Disney princess, and we went to this dinner. And the little girl, when those princesses come out, and you're doing this dinner, the little girls flip out. I mean, it would be like what teenage girls did last, years ago with the Beatles. You know, they just start screaming like, "Oh my god!" It, it was like it was wild. Well, you're really going back about sixty years here, huh? And by the way. It's, it's not cheap. It is not cheap. We do need to get into this. Oh, God, I forgot to get into this article. Yeah, well, I'm going to call Dallas here in a second, but we'll, we will definitely. So there's an article. I don't know if we'll get to it today or. Well, well there is to... a Diamondback in there. So, yeah, it's, it, it's a, a Sports Weekly, which used to be Baseball Weekly. Sports Weekly did an article on who are the players that are going to see their home run totals decrease as there was belief that the ball's been toned down in spring training. There's no scientific evidence, but players this spring, because the players know, they're the ones throwing this ball, they're catching it, they're hitting it, they think the ball is not going to be as juiced. So how many players out there are going to see their home run totals go down? There's quite a few. But more importantly, he gave us one of the great days in A's history, and it was so special because not only did you see a perfect game, but you saw it on Mother's Day. I will never forget that game. I'll never forget doing post-game for that game. Dallas Braden joins us, and his network, NBC California, is going to replay that game tomorrow. Going to be pretty cool. Dallas, how are we doing? How's the family? Uncle Tony, I am well. I hope you and the family are doing all right as well. Uh, we're just kind of hanging out, man, um, and talking baseball, which is always a good thing. Yeah, this was and, – and I applaud Dave Cavill, our president. He was like, you guys got to get back on the air. People are cooped up in their houses. They want something to feel good about. They want baseball. They want to hear baseball, and that's why the show, we're back on. We're going to be on every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday from 1 to 3 to give you a release. And then, of course, tomorrow, the replay. Have you ever gone back and watched this game before? No. No, uh, no, 
I've seen I've seen at bats, right? And I've seen I've seen highlights. I've kind of gone over highlights and stuff, but I have never and I don't know that I could ever sit down and take in that game again. I, I don't know that I have the emotional capacity, if I'm being totally honest. Uh, there, there's just that's a. It's really great for me to be able to enjoy the game the way I do through the lens of the fans, um, and, and that's what's really important to me is is being able to open up and and take in so many different stories and perspectives of that game and, and really that game kind of transcends and becomes for me insight what sport can mean to a human being to a family unit to a friend circle to to just in my opinion the american spirit in general and county you you just nailed it when you talked about dave cavill having a feel and understanding that these kind of conversations they, they just help whether you want to say they have to happen they need to happen they just help. And, and being able to share that moment with fans and really, you know, if I'm being honest, being a baby and not being able to watch it again, for me, that helps. Yeah, I remember doing the postgame show that day. It's Mother's Day, and I remember getting texts from my wife because so many people called in. So many people wanted to talk about it. I went on for like three hours, and I remember my wife going, we have to go to my mother's. For my, and I'm like, I can't, I can't. The people are too excited. And uh, it, it, was, it was so emotional because you lost your mother. Your grandmother was there. It's Mother's Day. Can you take us back what it was like after the game for you and your family? Well, after the game was very, you know, um, it's kind of anticlimactic when you, when, when I say it, when I, when I speak about it, because there, there was no huge celebration. There was, we, we legitimately went home, ordered a pizza and just kind of had some, had some beers and really appreciated what had just happened because I, you know, for, for anybody who has lost somebody and you deal with their birthday, a anniversary, whatever memory that comes along on that physical calendar, it, it, it can just be a, uh, it can be a gut wrencher, you know, and, and for myself and for my grandmother and, and really it kind of trickled into our friends and family network because we were just, reclusive in that time frame and come mother's day during the year we were not people you wanted to be around because and and that and that's terrible to say but i mean it just was our reality mother's day was a day that we if we could have we would have ran from and it's almost like that was the only way we were going to be able to cope with the struggle and the loss that we were dealing with and it was kind of like our life had put on been put on pause up until that moment, up until that day. And it was like, it was just kind of like taking that, that bath and being cleansed of all of the, you know, I mean, if I'm being completely honest and candid, all of the depression and all of the, you know, anxious thoughts you have about why you're doing what you're doing. Is it ever going to be enough? Am I going to be able to take care of my grandmother? And, and then that day kind of, you know, put a period and was able to close the chapter of those thoughts. All right, so you go back home, you have pizza, you're drinking some beers, and the next thing you know, 
everybody wants to talk to you and your grandmother. Good morning, America. Every, like, like, what was it yeah. like when all of a sudden everybody wants to put you on these national TV shows? Well, it was, I mean, you know, I have, I've never really had an issue sitting down and, and talking to people. Uh, you know, you and I could probably sit and talk about paint drying for an hour and breeze <laughs> right through that, Tony. Um, but but it was it was just, for me, it was great because I felt like, you know, our, our team and our organization was going to get some shine, was going to get some love. Um, I was going to be able to talk about, you know, the, as I jokingly say, there were more there that day, I know, but, you know, the 1,500 fans who were all in attendance, who all drove in the same BART car to the game together, you know, uh, I, I was, I was going to be able to kind of put that on a national stage. And that was what was really cool. It's because I'm doing the interviews and I'm in my big league uniform, you know, and, I'm, and, and, and that's what's cool. I'm doing David Letterman. And one of the, I mean, the absolute coolest thing about sitting down and talking with David Letterman was sitting down in the ballpark in Arlington and having Michael Young, an opponent that I have the utmost respect for, walking by, you know, like took his hat off and shook my hand and gave me, and was like, hey, man, outstanding, like, congratulations. And I was just like, uh, uh, you know, like, like almost starstruck by my opponent, but just because of the amount of respect I had for him. And here he was acknowledging me. So that's incredible. It's an incredible ride to go on. And I mean, you know, I, I still, I think I still struggle to realize that my feet have not firmly hit the ground since that day. Well, and, and I think it, it is a day that really bonded you with this fan base and this fan base, you know, they voted for you to be top 100. They absolutely love you. There is a special relationship that you have with the Oakland A's fan base. That's really, really special. Well, I, I appreciate, I think I appreciate and I understand the plight of the baseball fan, but in our neighborhoods and in our economies, what I know and what I've heard and what I kind of understand and I can speak candidly about is I have absolutely been where our fan base comes from. The struggles they've gone through, I've been there as well. I've gone through those struggles. I know exactly what the game of baseball in our neighborhoods can do for folks. And I understand the passion. Like they, these are people who, who grind and work their butts off Townie to be able to come to a place that the rest of the major leagues scoffs at. And it's a place they wrap their arms around just like they do the entire organization. And to be able to connect with those people and to have those people allow you to perform in front of them that's how I process it because they can spend their hard earned money on absolutely anything they want. And they're choosing to come to the ball game, which means somehow, some way I get a paycheck, but they're really allowing me to play in front of them and understanding that and appreciating that can go so far. And, and that's why I will always, always, always have the time for people who spend their hard earned money in those neighborhoods under those circumstances and come out and support what we're doing. Watch one of us be able to live out a dream. And, you know, for two, three, four hours a day, they're right there living it with us. you gotta, you got to love that. I don't know how you don't. 109 pitches, 77 were strikes, and Tampa was a really good lineup. They had some really good players. Yeah, they, were, they, weren't, they weren't a bad club. I mean, I believe, if I'm if I'm not mistaken, they won almost. I think they won almost 100 ball games that year. Um, I mean, like 
really from the top of the lineup all the way through, it was like, oh my god! I mean, you were talking Bartlett, Jason Bartlett, Crawford, uh, Zobrist, I think, Longoria, Pena, Upton. Um, uh, I want to say Eric Ibar or Navarro or the other way around, I think. And then I think it was Kapler at the bottom of the line. I mean, all the way through that lineup, you've got like pro hitters, pro approaches. And th- th- that's why, that's why I chuckle when I, when I just think about it because like me and my stuff against that kind of lineup at that time, like, you know, you're, you're praying for the quality start. Can I get six? Let's keep them. Let's keep the crooked numbers, you know, to a minimum, and let's hope our boys got a chance to get to their big guy at the time, James Shields. So, I mean, you know, doing your homework and preparing for what was coming, you knew what the task at hand was, or at least I knew what the task at hand was. And, you know, when that team steps on the field, you better be bringing your lunch pail. And the guy who caught you, Landon Powell, what's what, what's he doing now and how's he doing? Uh, he's just dominating over in uh, North Greenville. Uh, university, I believe <clears throat> he's uh, he's put together a heck of a program out there, um, and I mean he's a head coach enjoying enjoying the uh, retired life. But if you're a ball player, if you're a lifer, you're never retired, right? You're just kind of changing uh, changing roles and changing unis throughout the year. So that's what he's doing, and he's he's uh, I mean I couldn't be happier for him, man. He's right where he needs to be on a ball field with his beautiful family around him. Scott Emerson told me one time about you when he had you in the minor leagues. He said Dallas was so accurate that at times he wanted you just to throw balls so you weren't always in the strike zone. I, I mean, talk about your relationship with Emo. We know what a great pitching coach he is, but but your guys' relationship, you guys are still pretty tight. Yes, Emo, Emo was an incredible mentor for me just because of the way he goes about his business in the film room, in the study hall. And, you know, that's where, that's how I was able to get to where I got. That's how I was able to, you know, stick around for a little bit was just because I was trying to figure out the ins and outs, the X's and the O's. And he really provided me a firsthand look at what that can do for you because I was the guy calling him in a ball telling him, I want, you know, I want these scouting reports. He's getting video. He's having our clubhouse guy, other pitchers, take video of hitters. We're getting scouting reports from our advanced guys on the road. He's color coordinating, you know, counts and sequences and putting together their success rates because this is stuff that that I wanted to look at. I wanted to know. He had the information already. And, And when you find somebody that you're able to sort of, you know, when you find that dance partner, you know, you you just know and. I can't look at Emo without knowing we are about to get real deep into a conversation about the art. And that's what excited me about showing up to the yard every day with him. But yeah, I mean, there were times and, and, and he's right. And this is not, you know, I'm not trying to brag at all, but there were points where he would say, all right, you can, you can throw a strike at will. Now we're going to learn to command. He's gone. And I want to ask him one more thing. I want to ask him about the shift. Uh, right after this, we're going to get into – we're going to be breaking down the NL West to start. We're going to do every division. We're going to do every team. We're going to get somebody from every single team. And today we're going to start with the Snakes, the Arizona Diamondbacks, who had an incredible second half last year. And even though they had an incredible second half, 
they still fell 21 games short of the Los Angeles Dodgers. Uh, Dodgers are tough. And the NL West is going to be, you know, th- there's some jobs on the line. Like the guys in San Diego know they got to win or they're out. Like everybody's out. GM's out. A.J. Preller, he'll be gone. So uh, there's some pressure there, you know. What's Colorado going to look like? You know, how long is Nolan Arenado going to be there? You know, Bud Black has a lot of pride. And then you have Tori Lovello down in Arizona, and they're developing a culture down there. And they did a really smart thing. They're kind of reloading on the fly. And the money that they saved uh, getting rid of Zach Grinke, not only getting rid of Zach Grinke, but getting four top prospects from the Astros – and then what they were able to do was free up that money to go add players that they think can help them right now. And, of course, one of those guys is Madison Bumgarner. Last year, the Diamondbacks were 85-77. and 77. One strange note about them, the D-backs winning percentage against the NL West was 38-38. and 38. They were 16 and 16 against the Central, and they were 17 and 17 against the East. So they had a 500 winning percentage against the three different divisions. How about this? They play some good defense. 117 runs saved more than an average defense by Arizona in 2019, second highest total in the majors. Starling Marte, they made the trade to bring him over, and he's going to command center field because. They didn't really know what they were going to do. Cattell Marte had been playing some center, but what he didn't like and really wasn't good for his back is down in Arizona, they now have the -the state-of-the-art Shaw Sports Turf B1K synthetic grass. So they're the only team in the National League to have synthetic grass. The last time someone didn't play on grass – was the Montreal Expos in 2004 at Olympic Stadium. They had the old-school turf. So they bring in Marte, and then that'll allow Starling Marte at 295, career-high 23 bombs, 82 RBIs, 97 runs scored, and 845 OPS. Is that any good? And his OPS plus was 120. Don't don't worry about it. We don't have to worry. Dallas will... Well, I can't log into my email, and I kind of need that for buying buying or selling and all that stuff later on. It, it like, locked me out of Google, and now it won't let me log back in, so now I have to work you through. You can use my computer for buying I know. or selling. I think it's on my other computer, too, but it's just weird that it's not letting me log in. Dallas is still there if he wants us to call him back, he told me. Well, you can't call him back, right? You don't. You don't have that ability? So bringing in Madison Bumgarner. That's going to be a really big key is if Madison Bumgarner can return to being the guy that was once dominant. Here, why don't we do this? Why don't we figure this out? We'll let you stop panicking. And when we come back, if we can get Dallas Braden, we'll get Dallas Braden. If not, we'll continue to talk about the Arizona Diamondbacks, uh, the projection of what they're going to do in the West. They're not going to win the division, but you know what they feel good about? They feel good about winning a wild card. And remember, seven teams have now won the World Series since the wild card 
was implemented in Major League Baseball, including last year's champ, the Washington Nationals. We got more Ace Cast Live coming your way right here on Ace Cast. Streaming from the East Bay, Ace Cast Live continues with Chris Townsend. We're back, baby. And we're going to be with you. We're going to get through this all together. Monday, Wednesday, and Friday on from 1 to 3. Are we playing win number three of the season after this? Or win number four? We're going to play all the wins for you. No losses, wins. It's going to be great. Baseball back on A's cast. As soon as we get out. Are we doing the pregame shows too? All included. Is the postgame show on there too? Included. Oh, wow. I believe it's uh, A's Angels today from March 31st of last year. Don't remember. It was uh, Frankie Montas and I want to say the recently passed away Tyler Skaggs. That's awesome. Not obviously horrific with Tyler Skaggs, but it's awesome we're replaying all these wins. And you know who got to save in that game? Um, It's the fourth win of the year. Well, at this time, still Blake Trinan's Blake the, Trinan. He's the closer. Well, that's, that, that's like, you know, since we're talking about the Arizona Diamondbacks and joining us here, we're going to have uh, – Mike Farron from the Diamondbacks. You also hear him host on SiriusXM, the MLB channel, uh, with Dan Duquette, the Power Alley, which is one of the best baseball shows there is. I love listening to those guys. But you think about the trade, Zach Greinke. So they had to absorb $10 million of it, but still that saved them $53 million getting rid of Zach Greinke. And it allows them to sign Madison Bumgarner. But the, just the question is, is what Mass and Bumgarner are you getting? Mass and Bumgarner's record was 167 with a 2.99 ERA in his first seven years. That's pretty good. But what happened? Because the last three seasons, he's 19 and 25 with a 3.57 ERA, and the Giants lost 40 of his 72 starts. I got a feeling, though, I don't know if Mass and Bumgarner will be great for this entire contract. But I I would bet on him next year. He got a five-year, $85 million deal. I'm glad he got paid, you know, because he had such a terrible contract. And, you know, I mean, the the guys pitched some pretty historic games. Uh, I would put my money on it that he's going to have a good year. Big chip on his shoulder, and you start looking at that rotation. And they got to – I mean, Robbie Ray strikes out a lot of guys. Zach Gallon's coming. Mike Leake will give you 30 starts. So uh, they got a pretty good rotation. Their problem last year was bullpen. And Archie Bradley pulled a Liam Hendricks. In the second half, he was incredible. He had a major league high 18 saves after July 30th. I mean, he really came on. They were they were second half monsters last year. If you looked at what they did. Arizona went 31 and 22 over the final 2 months. And we're just 4 games back of the NL wild card. As I just told you before, you know, the wild card isn't a scary thing anymore. Unless you're the A's and you've struggled in three wild card games. But uh, 
seven wildcard teams have won the World Series since it debuted in 1995. There is that just-get-in mentality. See, the thing is about these wildcard teams, and you look how Tampa really pushed the Astros last year, the Nationals won the World Series, they get into playoff mode before there's ever playoffs. That's the thing about the wildcard team. you got to fight to the very last day. So by the time you get in and it's like it's a wildcard game, it's like uh, we've been playing play. We, we've been playing for our playoff lives. What's one more game? Now, for the A's, you want to be out of that game. But if someone runs away with the division – like the Dodgers did, winning 106 games. I mean, you think about having a year where you're 85 and 77. 85, you got 85 wins, and you're still 21 games back. 21 games back. Now, they made an addition in right field, and Mike Farron's going to – if you've been listening to me since we started A's Cast Live – I'm not impressed if you hit home runs. What I worry about is if you don't hit home runs in the juice ball era. Like, Cole Calhoun to me, I don't think he had a great year. Cole Calhoun hit 33 home runs. You go, wow. But everybody was hitting home runs. Everybody. I mean, look at their look at the guys last year for – the D-backs. Cattell Marte hit 32 home runs. What was his career up to that point? He'd only hit 14 in his career. Uh, up until last year when he hit 22 or 32, he had 22 career 22 home runs. career home runs, and then he hits 32. I mean, seriously. Escobar for them, 35 home runs, 118 RBIs. Now, with the addition, so what happens is Escobar is going to play third. And Cattell Marte will play second. And then Starling Marte, no relation, I believe. He leaves Commander Cody's Pirates, who are in full rebuild mode, and he'll now play center field. They're going to score some runs. They've got a pretty good young rotation, now anchored by Mass and Bumgarner. And we're going to see how he's fitting in. And hey, I didn't mention Luke Weaver. If Luke Weaver can stay healthy, you know, he had that scary, you know, tightness in the elbow, and you think, oh, God, Tommy John. But uh, he didn't end up having Tommy John. Oh, that's something since we've been gone. Have we noticed that there's some teams who basically said, you know what, this season's going to be a shortened season. Um, let's, let's, let, let, if, if, like Chris Sale, Tommy John surgery, Tyler Beatty, Tommy John surgery. I think some teams are looking, going, I don't know when we're going to play. So we might as well get this done so these guys can pitch next year. So if you have Tommy John surgery in March, you're probably going to be able to come back. Probably they, they, they want to extend this thing from a year to a year and two months. So if I'm BD or I'm Sale and I have Tommy John now, there's a chance I'll be back in April and May and not worry about the season that's going to, I mean, for sure going to be a shortened season. I mean, there's no question about it. Guys can say they want to play 162, but this is going to be a while. Unless you, unless everybody's going to agree on, hey, let's play a bunch of doubleheaders, 
Um, it's going to be a shortened season. So you can tell that these teams have said, you know what? Why don't we just have the Tommy John surgery now so we can have you next year? And that's what you're seeing around the game. You know, and they've got some pretty good defense, too. Nick Ahmed won his second gold glove. He is underrated at shortstop. And Escobar at third, and then Marte at second. We know what playing good defense means for a team because the A's are one of the best defensive teams. It's one of the reasons why they've won 97 games two straight years. And then they got this young kid, Christian Walker, to step up and big shoes to feel from from uh, big shoes to fill, I should say, uh, from Paul Goldschmidt. But they've they've you know let Goldie go. You move him on to St. Louis. You move Grinky on. Gave you some payroll flexibility. And Cole Calhoun, you know, last year, and this is why. I mean, you're gonna he had 33 home runs and 74 RBIs. And hitting 232. What does that mean? It means a lot of solo shots. And the Angels weren't very good. And I do not like somebody like this guy. When you have a 232 batting average, you're struggling to make contact. He struck out 162 times in 152 games. That's a lot of punch outs. But he's a Phoenix guy, returning home. Change of scenery may be a good thing for him. Tori, Tori Lavello, their manager, former Oakland A. We had him on at the winter meetings in San Diego. He told the great story about being sent down on his birthday by Art Howe. Art Howe. Yeah, that's pretty harsh. Um, but this is a guy that kind of reminded me. Cody, would you agree to this? It kind of reminded me of Bob Melvin, where it's about, he's about changing the culture, no matter who he has. Grinky in, Grinky out. I mean, it, it was about changing the culture, and that leads to winning baseball by doing things the right way, on and off the field, in the clubhouse, on the field. You just get a sense. It's, it's you know, a hallmark of, of Bob Melvin. Great communication between the manager and the player, and that's something they talk a lot about is their culture and that their culture is going in the right direction. And then let me tell you something, 85 and 77 is still a pretty good season. Yeah, and Lovello has done a great job since he took over. I think he took over in, what, 2017? He's had, I mean, he's, I think it's like 260 wins in his career already, which, is, which isn't bad for him. And then Mike Hayes in their GM is a former Red Sox guy, so they have a good culture in place with that. I, I think he's done a nice job building that team back up. They had a farm system that was kind of depleted after the Shelby Miller trade back in the day. And that kind of, you know, they lost Dansby Swanson and, and Tiki Tuasant and a few other guys that they lost, but they've done a nice job rebuilding and, and Tory does a nice job commanding that, that, that team. I think he is one of the most underrated managers in baseball. We know what his sense of humor and just his personality. He's, guy, he's, yeah. he's incredible. And uh, I want, I want to see them do well. I'm tired of, I, I'm not tired of seeing the Dodgers win that division, but I'm tired of seeing that the Dodgers win the division. Yes or no, Masson Bumgarner has a rebound season in the Valley of the Sun. Yes. I think that – I just think last year – I mean, he had 200-plus strikeouts last year, but everyone gets strikeouts. Not everyone, but – Yeah, everybody's striking out and everybody's hitting home runs. We, remember, we earlier today you asked me, we did a pretty good job. I think we got Save six, it. Okay. You're talking, wait, wait, wait. What were I was, you going to – I was going to say the Diamondbacks managers. 
when you asked me who oh. the seven managers in the history were, I got six of the seven. Yeah, I uh, I I knew th- I knew six too. Wait, is saying Al Padrique? He must have filled in. He was there for well, he was there one year. Really? Before Bob Melvin took over, it was Padrique for one year or half a year. They've actually had nine managers. Yeah, maybe that maybe Wait, they're not counting Alan Trammell, who took over for yeah. a fired Kurt Gibson, and then Padrique took over for Bob Brenly. It looks like because he only, well, no, he's only there. That's weird. Why well, was only eighty three games in two thousand four? Oh, he, yeah. So he took over after Padrique or after Brenly stepped down or fired for what? So happened. they're not they're not counting the the, the Rena managers when they say they've had seven. Real no, managers. The, the guy that I forgot was uh, the two thousand eleven manager of the year, uh, Kurt Gibson. Wow. All right. We got a chance to hook up with our buddy Mike Farron, who Power Alley on Sirius XM MLB channel uh, there. I think it's channel we I, I eighty nine. I screwed up. I I, I love I love. Uh, by the way, ever since I got my new car, I absolutely love Sirius XM. I never had it before. It's great. Doctor Radio, by the way, on one twenty one has been fabulous. It's all the NYU doctors from the famous Lacombe or whatever it is hospital there in New York explaining everything that's going on. That's also really good. But here is my conversation with our buddy, Mike Farron. We always appreciate you taking the time. You know Power Alley's my favorite show on, on XM, channel 99 for me. Or is it 89? 89. 89. You know, the, you know the channel number. Come on. Well, it, I never take it off because I know the NFL is what, 88? <laughs> So that I, sounds right. I got to a point to where I just turn my my kid. My kids are always like, "Oh my god, Dad!" I'm like, I listen to you guys every morning when I take you to school. Take my kids to school. <laughs> well, you can probably take us to school too. We need to learn a lot. <laughs> <laughs> How have you been? Yeah, I'm good. How are you? Uh, doing well. And you know, one thing that we're going to be doing here on A's Cast Live is. We're going to be previewing the divisions. We went, okay, which division do we want to start with first? And we said, why not the NL West? And since you're our favorite, we said, we're going to do the Diamondbacks first. So the Diamondbacks last year, 85 and 77. The big question for them with the the new additions, are they going to be able to stand up to the mighty Los Angeles Dodgers? Well, it's going to be a tall task to stand up to them. I mean, the Dodgers are really, really good. I mean, they're the most talented team in the National League. I think they're the clear favorites. I mean, they've won seven straight division championships and two of the last three National League pennants. So um, it's a tall task to try and run them down. Now, if, if, as it appears, we're going to have some semblance of a truncated schedule, maybe that makes it a little easier. If if you get off to a fast start, if you're the Diamondbacks and, and the Dodgers get off to a little bit of a slower start, maybe that makes it uh, easier for it not to balance out in the way that we've seen in the past. But, um, you know, I think it's, it's tough to say that they're going to run down L.A., but I do think this is a team that's going to be in playoff contention all year round. If, if not for the division, then certainly for, for you know, one of the wild card spots. We know you got some good young pitching. What does mm-hmm. it mean to add a guy like Madison Bumgarner with his pedigree and really who he is when he walks into that clubhouse and he's got the three World Series rings, no one has a bigger chip on his shoulder than this guy, he's a tough guy. What does it mean for that clubhouse and the young pitchers? Yeah, in, in talking to some of the young pitchers about it this spring, I mean, it's already had an impact. I mean, he he – um, sought out Zach Gallen to be his catch partner. And I think that meant a lot to Zach. And, and Gallen is probably the, 
least known of the Diamondbacks starting pitchers, but he's also the one that probably has the highest ceiling. You know, they got him to trade from the Miami Marlins uh, at the trade deadline last year where they sent a very good shortstop prospect and Jazz Chisholm for him. But Gallon has a chance to be a very, very good starting pitcher, and Bumgarner knows that. And the fact that he took him on as his catch partner, I think that that says a lot about how he feels about him. And I think you're starting to see, you know, he wants to compete every single moment. You know, he is going to continue to have, uh, I think, a strong impact on making sure guys stay focused in the short term. And I think sometimes you know, we can talk about these things and they're overblown a little bit. But with him, I think it's just it, it's a different level of guidance than what they've had before. Zach Greinke was was really good to the pitchers that he pitched with. He's a little bit different personality, right? He's he's certainly more cerebral. He's not as kind of out front. He's a little bit more quiet, maybe even a little bit more shy. Whereas Bumgarner isn't afraid to, to you know, go out and say something to somebody. And I'll be really curious to see how the pitchers react to it because because I have a feeling that they're going to end up, um, you know, really seeing a benefit out of it. And and you know, the fact that he demands his teammates to compete every night, I think that's a great positive. Well, yeah, and we got to see him, you know, his whole career in San Francisco. And I think about Zach Greinke and I think about Madison Bumgarner and the way these two guys are, that's two different ends of the spectrum. And I think when you bring in a guy like Madison Bumgarner with, with, with that resume and also the fact that he is going to be angry at the San Francisco Giants because they basically said, you're out of here. We're not going to pay you. Thanks for thanks for winning all those big games for us uh, and winning World Series for us. And you know how much he can't stand the Los Angeles Dodgers. I, you're actually getting one of the best pitchers of his era, and you're getting him when he feels he still has something to prove. Yeah, and I think that that's a big part of it with Bumgarner, you know, we we've seen some of the decline in fastball velocity and the decline in stuff, but great pitchers make the adjustment. And it's funny, I was just listening. I don't know if you ever listened to CC Sabathia's podcast, but he was talking to John Lester about the same thing. I was just listening to it this last week. And those guys who are truly great find a way to maybe not be at the peak of their powers, but certainly continue to evolve. And I think that that's one of the things that Bumgarner will do now, whether that's, using the curveball more or changing the pitch mix a little bit because he's been mostly fastball cutter for his entire career. I think he's competitive enough. I think he's smart enough. I think he sees, you know, he's, he's good enough to be able to look at all the information that he's given to be able to find a way to take another step forward. And I, and I will say this, I think towards the end of last year, um, it sounds like he was making some changes in terms of how he used his curveball. And if maybe if that's a pitch that comes into the mix a little bit more, maybe he can make up for a little bit of the loss in the fastball and, and the reliance on the cutter by just mixing that in now and again. And I think about Marte, and I think about Escobar, and I think about the years they had, so explosive. That was a lot of fun to watch for you guys. Yeah, it really was. I mean, I think to tell Marte, you know, he finished fourth in the National League MVP last year, and he really had a great breakout season. And I don't think the power is an accident. I mean, he really is built more like an uh, NFL running back than he is a, a second baseman. He's really uh, put on a lot of good weight and muscle over the course of his professional career. And I think pairing him with Starling Marte, who they got in the trade from Pittsburgh at the top of the lineup, you know, I think Starling Marte is a little bit of an underrated offensive performer. I think it gives him a dynamic one-two if you have a healthy David Peralta behind them, which they do right now. You know, Peralta, Escobar, 
um, you know, gives them a really good top four. And then if you can get a little bit more out of out of um, out of Christian Walker, who you know had a good first season, and you know Nick Ahmed was pretty solid. And then add in the middle there Cole Calhoun, who you saw a lot of, and you know, Calhoun is just one of those real competitive grinder players every day. I think they've got the makings of a, a solid offensive unit and you know certainly one that allows them to compete. You know, I heard your guys' interview with Cole Calhoun that you did for your uh, spring training preview and bringing him back home. He's an Arizona guy. Mm-hmm. You just kind of see because there were times where Cole Calhoun for the A's, he was a tough out. And he beat the A's up. Now, last year wasn't so hot, but that's another one. Change of scenery and hitting in that ballpark every day. And just to hear him and how, how great it is for him to go home, I, I think you could get a big year out of him. Yeah, I mean, he, you know, he hit a career high with 33 homers a year ago. And, um, you know, I think he's made some adjustments certainly over the last year and a half to be um, a little bit better offensively. Remember, he had just a miserable start to the to the 18th season, where he was hitting well under 100 or right around 100 when he went on the injured list in May. And since he's come back from that, he's been pretty consistent. So I think you're probably looking at a guy that's going to be, you know, over the course of a 162 game season, would be in the the 20 to 25 homer range and probably on base at a you know 325 clip or something like that and play a very good right field. So. Um, you know, I think he's, he makes him a little bit more left-handed. One of their issues last year was facing right-handed pitching. And so, um, you know, I think you see, you know, from those, those kind of performances um, that he definitely is a big upgrade for them. And, you know, listen, Adam Jones was forced into more action than they anticipated a year ago because of the injury to Steven Souza Jr. And Jones had a really good start to the year. But their production on right field was pretty low overall. And so I think at the very least, Calhoun gives them a little bit of a boost in that. And he also told a story about Mike Trout when you guys are doing the interview yeah. with him. And it's it just, he's a regular guy. He likes to joke around. It just so happens he has to be the, he just happens to be the best player on the planet. I thought the way he explained what it's like to play with Mike Trout makes you realize really what makes him so special. So those two guys are extremely close too. Like they, they were really, really good friends with the Angels. And I think, you can kind of see why Cole Calhoun's pretty normal guy you know, a high energy uh, dude, but pretty normal. And I think that that's certainly the case with trout. I mean, trout likes, you know, loves his, his Philadelphia Eagles and he loves to go hunting and fishing and just kind of is normal, but he's an incredibly talented player with a great work ethic too. And, uh, you know, I think you just saw the appreciation for just how real a person like trout is. And that's, you know, I think that that certainly seems like it's something that's rubbed off on Cole. You know, talk about Tori, your skipper. We, we we got a chance to hook up with him down in San Diego at the winter meetings, and he told some great stories about when he was in Oakland A. One of them was the the, uh, the A's were up in Toronto, and they're taking on the Blue Jays, and it's his birthday, and it's a day game. And a bunch of the guys were going to take him out after the game, take him out for his birthday, and they were going to go party. But then he got called in, and he got released. And he was like, wow, Art Hal, that's pretty pretty harsh on my birthday. And Art was like, Tori, if you're going to be in this business a long time, you're going to have to learn to deal with it. But, yeah, what a special guy he is. And I can see where you need that kind of leadership to win baseball games on an everyday basis, and he brings you that kind of leadership. Yeah, I, mean, I, think, I think the thing about him is that he's just so good at building a team environment. I mean, you, you spent – you know, a little bit of time with him, and, and you feel very quickly like you know Tory. Like there's, he's an open book. 
he wants to know about everybody as a person. He's a great connector. And I think that that, that carries over into the way that he manages a club. And I think he also demands that they take care of the little things. And I think that's one of the things that the Diamondbacks have done over the last couple of years, even in missing the postseason, is that you know, they may have gotten beat on a talent level at times, but they didn't beat themselves. So there's an attention to detail when it comes to defense. There's an attention to detail when it comes to game planning and preparation. There's a huge attention to detail when it comes to base running. And those little things are things that they do well and do right. And, and I think that those are things that really matter to him, to, to Tori as a manager. And I think that they carry over into the way that the, the team plays. I mean, he, he's built a really great environment. It's been fortunate that he's had really good guys too to work with um, in terms of, of just the quality of the people that have been in that clubhouse. But they've built a really strong culture there. I know that's the word that we like to throw around a lot now, workplace. Basically, it's a good workplace environment. And I think people enjoy coming to work. The players enjoy coming to work there. Yeah, I, as much as lately in baseball, people have tried to talk about how ah the manager doesn't mean as much anymore, so much about analytics and front offices. But the reality is you're still dealing with 25 human beings. And somebody's got to sit at the front of the bus. Somebody's got to sit at the front of the plane. Somebody's got to deal with these guys on and off the field. These guys have issues. They have problems like everybody else. Somebody has to actually manage the people. And if you don't have the right guy, yeah. it's really – Mike, that clubhouse can go south really fast. Well, I mean, you've seen it with Bo Mel, too. I mean, you know, Bob, I think, is one of the best at, at managing people. And I think, you know, he does it a little different than Tory, but, but Bob is a straight shooter with his guys, and they know that he has their back. And I think, you know – Bob's also a really good tactician, I think. And that's, you know, that's one of the, the real separators as to why he's in the handful of best managers in the game. But you're right. I mean, they, there has to be somebody that the players look to for answers. Or that you, just like in any line of work, you have to look to your boss for leadership. And they are, you know, while the manager is more of a middle manager than maybe they were 40 or 50 years ago, they still lead you know, the most important the most important group within an organization, which is the players. And, you know, we can say, well, they don't have as much control over the roster and they don't have as much control over the decision because of the analytics, they still have to make those decisions when it comes to what's happening in the game. And maybe they have better information and input to make those decisions, but they have to be able to, to, you know, understand that and explain it to their players when it's something that may not look right. And you have to have credibility with that group in order to do it. So I do think that it's still a very important job in that way, in that you're the one who's building the way that your team wants to compete on a daily basis. I know you and the Duke have kicked this around on Power Alley, <laughs> but uh, tell us how you think the three batter minimum is going to play in the first year. Yeah, I don't know. I don't really know. I mean, I think I, I actually don't mind the idea of it, but that part of this is born of the fact that I just absolutely hate many pitching changes. I just like it, it to me, it's that they just slow the game down beyond anything else. And I, I don't know how it's really going to play out. I mean, I think I'm really curious to see how teams build their lineups to combat that. I think that's one of the things that's really interesting in this is, um, you know, do you do you go, you know, left, right, left to try and, uh, you know, ensure that there's a strong righty to face the lefty? Or do you do the Joe Madden idea where you put a lefty and then two righties behind them? So 
that if they come in to face the lefty, they have to face those two guys as well, or you have to force them in maybe to face a righty ahead of the lefty first? I don't know. I mean, I think that those are things that are going to be really interesting, and I think that there are going to be mistakes made. But really, I mean, I think in the end, I, the biggest risk it has is of people overthinking their lineup. You know, a lot of construction should be pretty simple, and this should be the thing that we've learned from the statistical revolution, which is get your best played players the most played appearances possible, right? Like that's your best chance to score runs is to get your best hitters up to the plate more often. It's pretty simple. And so I would worry less about what happens with, with a lefty who has to come in maybe in the sixth inning of a game or seventh inning of a game where it might impact, you know, let's say 15 games over the course of the season. And granted, those could be really critical moments over the course of the game than I would be on how you're going to manage the, you know, 700 plate appearances that come with a leadoff spot, the 670 or whatever that come out of the second spot uh, in the order and, and so on and so forth. So, I think that to me is the, the bigger thing is like, where's that balance between worrying about how you build your line to be able to take advantage of somebody else's bullpen versus like, we just need to get our best hitters to the plate. Let's end on this. You went over to A's camp. You went over to Ho-Ho cam. What are your impressions of the 2020 athletics? Uh, I think they are really, really good. Um, and I think this little delay to the season probably helps because it gets A.J. Puck healthy for the ready, ready, ready regular season, knock on wood. Um, I, think they're, I think they are good enough to knock off the Astros. I think they have to be one of the favorites in the American League. I think it would be really fun if this is the year the Billy Bean stuff works in the postseason because, you know, that, that's, the, that's always been the joke, right, about the A's. Hey, they can get there, but they can't get through it. But, like, I love the lineup. I think they have one of the deepest position player groups in baseball. I think Matt Chapman and Matt Olson are stars. Obviously, Semyon has turned into such a great leader on that team. And I think with guys like Lizardo and Montas, um, you know, and and you know, adding Puck to the rotation in that mix and a healthy Sean Manaya, I think they have a chance to really, really be very good there too. So I, I and they still have enough depth in their system that they could make an impactful trade for whatever they need at the deadline, whatever that is. So I, I just, I really like that A's team an awful lot. I think they're, they're, I, I will pick them to win the West when we get going, I think. Um, and I, I could see myself picking them to win the pennant because I think they're, they're that talented. Well, I tell you what, it's, it's gonna, it's, it is going to be a fun year and everybody, and I've been telling, I don't even, I have even told your partner, I told the Duke this, I said, once I got my new car, and I got Sirius XM. I didn't realize how great it is. And your guys' show really is second to none. Of course, the work that you do for the Diamondbacks, but your coverage of Major League Baseball, and I love how they put uh, Russo on right after you guys. So uh, keep up the great work. And, and, and there's really isn't – for me, I, I also – you know, during football season, I, I like the NFL channel, but uh, your guys' channel there at, at Sirius XM is just phenomenal. Well, thanks, Tony. I appreciate it. I mean, we try to have fun. I mean, in the end, and, and you know, I think that this is probably uh, more uh, evident than ever right now is, man, it's just baseball, and we should just enjoy the hell out of it because, um, you know, when it comes back this year, it's going to be a lot more fun to see it again. I think I, I'm already missing it an awful lot, and we're already we're just a week into the shutdown of it, but Man, when it comes back, I think there's going to be a great appreciation for it. At least I hope there is because, um, you know, it is just way too much fun. I mean, that's a great way to spend our entertainment dollars and time. Well, you know, out here, it's our morning show. Yeah, that's true. You get to wake up with us, which, 
Um, you can ask my wife. It's not really that much fun. <laughs> and the fact that you get to do a show with a guy who's been a general manager, I mean, <laughs> and, and, and everything that he's – I mean, he's been and he, he, he's seen it and he's done it. You know, you know this one. So you know, Jim. Jim about eight years ago donated his kidney to his daughter, uh, Lindsay, and um, he is just like this incredible human being on top of it. And it really makes me sick because there's nothing I can do that'll ever be as great as all of the things that he does for other people. So on top of it, I have to work with a saint. <laughs> hey, uh, we'll call you once this thing starts rolling once again. We always appreciate the time. Take care of you and your family, and we'll be calling. All right, you two stay safe, Tony. Mike Farron, one of the good guys in our game. All righty, it is time for a little buying or selling. It's time for buying or selling. Sell, sell. Right now with Chris Townsend on A's Cast Live. Well, like a lot of us, uh, baseball players have a lot of downtime going on right now and one of those guys is christian yelich mr 215 million dollars now yelich just signed that deal a few weeks ago with the milwaukee brewers the world baseball classic from 2017 was on mlb network yesterday oh it was in the pouring rain at dodger stadium well, that was when i was watching well the one the one that i was watching was the game against the was against dominican republic where adam jones makes that incredible catch to rob former teammate now padre manny machado but anyway, Christian Yelich was on Twitter yesterday breaking down his stance from that 2017 World Baseball Classic. Now, in 2016, Yelich hit 297 with 21 homers and 98 RBIs with the Marlins. Then in his last year with the Marlins, he hit 282 with 18 homers and 81 RBIs. In 2018, he was traded to the Milwaukee Brewers for Lewis Brinson and a bunch of other guys that haven't done anything for the Marlins, where he won the NL MVP hitting 326 with 36 home runs and driving in 110 runs. And then last year before he got hurt, he had 329 with 44 homers and 97 RBIs in 130 games. Yelich said on Twitter that he narrowed up, used his legs more, which led to some things which, with timing and alignment, happened on accident, actually, when breaking down his stance on how he got better. So buying or selling Christian Yelich's explanation on his swing change. Yeah. Uh, I've been in this game a long time. And whenever I see something go from, we talked about Cattell Marte, to watch guys not hit home runs and always to someone hitting a ton of home runs, I'm always a little fishy. Yeah, it's, well, Marte was one. I mean, Yelich was one. The big one for me always was Jose Batista. His career, in, career high in home runs was with the Pirates, and it was 16. And then a couple years later, you're telling me he hit 54 home runs because he's fixed a kink in his swing. I, I don't I don't know. Batista wanted to have a a pretty nice career with the Toronto Blue Jays. He's coming Jays. back as a pitcher, isn't he? Still, that's, that's what he wants to do. I want you I want you to listen to this, folks. Christian Yelich, four home runs, nine home runs, seven home runs, twenty one, eighteen. Okay, so the the first one he was a call up, sixty two games, but one, two, three, four, five. Highest number, 21 home runs in five seasons. And then all of a sudden, it's 36 and 44. It's a lot of home runs. It's a lot of home runs. That's a big, big. You went from your high total of 21 to 44. 
Well, I mean, look at Marte, 22 career home runs, and now he hit 32 last I year. I know it's a juice ball. I know it's a hitter's ballpark. Uh, those kind of numbers, I mean, he's, I mean, Yelich is entering his prime. There's no question. But I just, I always, I always have to kind of look at it going, how do you, how do you not hit home runs? And all of a sudden now you hit a ton of home runs. It's a uh, very fascinating and the way he broke it down. I, I mean, I watched a lot of his games because they play in the NL Central and I watch, I get to see him play a lot. And I just, we saw him hit batting practice. He was hitting bombs in batting practice. Bombs. Last year. I mean, they weren't like, oh, they were, you know, barely clearing the, clearing the, the wall. They were going up in the and, upper deck. And three years ago, he wasn't hit, he couldn't even hit 20. Yeah, no. So it's interesting, but we'll see. I mean, he is very the NL, interesting. He's the NL MVP and he's making very $215 million. So someday soon there will be a new generation of Justin Verlanders and Max Scherzers and Clayton Kershaw. Any of them pretty good? And they're probably all going to be Hall of Famers. But who of those uh, will be aces for years to come? Now, you might think of Walker Bueller from the Dodgers. Got really good stuff. Jack Flaherty. Uh, some might say Jesus Lazardo. Mike Soroka, who was really good yeah. for the Braves last year. What about Shane Bieber? Bieber was the 20... 20- Not Justin Bieber? No, Shane Bieber, who was the 2019 All-Star Game MVP. He had a 328 ERA with 259 strikeouts and 214 in the third innings last year for the Tribe. The Indians no longer have Trevor Bauer, friend of the program, or Corey Kluber, who is with the Rangers. Now, Bieber's walk rate in his, as a rookie in 2018 was 4.7%. As a sophomore, still, it went down a little bit, 47 But his strikeout rate went from 24.3% to 30.2% of the time. So buying or selling, Shane Bieber will be the next great ace in baseball. I'm selling the next great ace. I mean, I, I, I buy he's going to be good, but is he a future Hall of Famer? I mean, there was an article posted about him about him being the next great ace. That's where I get this inspiration from. And I went back and looked at his numbers, and it's. I mean, he's in a, he's going into his third year. I mean, I, Jack Flaherty was best pitcher in baseball the second half of the year. Walker Buehler's pretty good. Mike Soroka was really good for the Braves. You got a you got a long way to go to 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 have 200 wins. In a career and great numbers, there's a lot. There's a lot of obstacles coming your way, so I'll just I'll err on the side of caution and I will sell. So last one, I'm going to skip a couple because I want to get to this one. Last week, major news happened out of Boston, and no, it was not Chris Sale having Tommy John surgery. Mookie Betts going to the Dodgers or J Lo and A Rod's TikTok video. It wasn't here in the Bay Area. It wasn't the Force Buckner getting traded to the Colts. Involved another Bay Area kid, the great Thomas Brady, the six-time Super Bowl champion, NFL MVP, and arguably the greatest of all time, signed with Arguably. It's been nine Super Bowls. Some people still say Montana. Oh, my God. Signed with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and Bruce Arians. This left the sports world stunned, including the New England area. First, it was Mookie. Now they lost Tommy. Jared Stidham is listed as the QB now for the Patriots. The NFC South now has Brady, Breeze, Matt Ryan, and the great Teddy Bridgewater as Kyle Allen was traded. To a lot of old Center. guys. And it's for Teddy Bridgewater. A lot of old guys. So, going to ask you very simply at the very end here, buying or selling Tom Brady as a Tampa Bay Buccaneer. Oh, God, I saw they did. They superimposed the uniform on him, and it was like, oh. But there's a difference between Joe Namath and the Rams and – the great Johnny Unitas is a charger. Those guys were done. Tom Brady's not done. No, I think I think he saw his. I mean, he's forty three and he looks like he's like thirty. Tom Brady can still win a lot of football games. 
You know what I want? I want to see Tampa do really well, and I want to see New England fall off. You know, because everybody, oh, Belichick. Hey, anybody who leaves Tom Brady hasn't done well. All the coaches play. Tom Brady is one of the great winners in the history of American sports. And they did not. I mean, look at the way New England in the end treated him. And they've always kind of treated him that way. Oh, no one gets treated different. Okay, let's see you win without Tom Brady. Let's now see how truly smart Bill Belichick. Bill Belichick's a hell of a coach. I mean, he won two rings with the Giants being their defensive coordinator. We know he's a great defensive coach. He's a great football mind. But how much of it is him and how much is is it for Brady? We're going to find out this year. And I'm going to be rooting for the Bay Area kid, Tom Brady, and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. That's all I got today. A little more on Wednesday. Coming up next, game six, technically, for the Oakland A's of 2019 because they played two games in Japan. So game Lost six, both. Lost both. And they're entering game number six against the Los Angeles Angels of Disneyland. Frankie Montas and Tyler Skaggs on the mound for the A's as they look for their third win of the season. Well, we really want to thank Dave Cavill, our president, for saying, you know what, during these trying times, we need to get on the air. We need to be there for our fans. And we're back. And we will be here for you. We're going to be here for you every day, especially Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. We'll A's Cast Live, Warm Stove Edition. We'll be here for you. We'll continue to have a great guest and just try and entertain you until we get through all of this and get back to the season. Thank you for listening. It's an honor to be back. We've missed you. We'll see you on Wednesday from 1 to 3. And now... Game six of the season and another victory for the Oakland Athletics. We'll see you all Wednesday. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.